Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. This week's episode hits extra hard, but it felt right closing Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month with Heather's story. We discuss an often sensitive and taboo topic, maternal suicide. Heather lost her sister Jennifer just weeks after the birth of her niece and days after leaving inpatient treatment. Heather has turned this awful tragedy into hope and support for other moms. Tune in to hear more. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm really, really looking forward to our conversation tonight. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to share my story. Yeah, of course. Let's just jump right into your story. My name's Heather Martin, and I'm from Salem, New Hampshire, Little New Hampshire. I started my journey with advocating for maternal mental health after losing my sister to suicide uh, 13 years ago. She was so excited for her first pregnancy and great childbirth experience, great pregnancy so happy, did the whole hypno-breathing thing, no medications, no nothing. She said it didn't hurt. I still don't believe her. And, you know, went home from the hospital, seemed to be doing fine. But within weeks, she started feeling very low, not wanting to bond with her baby, and just had a lost look that I'll never forget. And I never want to see in another woman's face. And that was not my sister. My sister was very happy happy person, had the perfect life, perfect husband, family, friends, just outgoing. And it wasn't my sister that I was seeing. And she had told her husband that she wanted to kill herself. So she ended up going to the ER, advised by her doctor, got admitted and just wasn't the right place for her. She was with people that weren't going through what she was going through, her mental health struggle, being a new mom and not wanting to bond with her baby, not really knowing why and, you know, what she was going through. Nobody nobody had a similar experience that was in being admitted at the same time as her. So, so within days, she wanted to go home. She did not feel like that was the place for her. They put her on medication and they let her go home. And we thought she was doing better. We thought, you know, she got treated and not knowing what we know now, she wasn't better. And within a couple days, started looking like she was fine, acting fine. I had called her that morning, the day of her suicide. And, you know, I said, can I come over? I want to see the baby and help you out in any way you can. And she said, no, I'm fine. I just need to rest. And I believed her. Her husband had gone to her his brother's birthday party and um, was gone for a couple hours with the baby and came home to find her. And that phone call from my mother, I will never forget. She was just screaming and, you know, couldn't really understand her, but I knew that that's, I knew that my sister was gone. Just by her, you know, I could hardly understand her, but I just knew something was wrong. You said earlier that she had a look in her face. And so did that look get better after she was released from the hospital? No, because, you know, and I, had, I hadn't I had seen her those couple days because I, you know, I was working, doing whatever. But the info that I had gotten from my mom 
was that she was doing okay. And she was with her pretty much almost every day up until her suicide. So the day mm-hmm. that she took her life was literally, she was only left for hours, two hours. Like no one had left her side. She had, a, she was the oldest of four kids and she never wanted us to see her down or, you know, she was always the one that, you know, took care of all of us. So I really think that she masked her pain. Um, she didn't want anyone to think that she was that low. And honestly, maybe the medication that she was taking didn't help her or, you know, the different medications that she was on, I don't think were good for her. And she was reluctant to take them, but it was kind of a stipulation for her to leave the hospital. Do you think that her leaving the hospital and taking taking those medicines were helpful at all? Like, do you feel like that gave her a little bit more time or was it just, it was really hard to know? Really hard to know. And honestly, I, you know, looking back at all the signs and symptoms and she had done all of those things in the weeks before her suicide. She had apologized for things that happened in our childhood. You know, I, I didn't, know why she was doing all these things she was uh very like hugging me and she was affectionate to a point but never not affectionate like she was the weeks before her suicide so I just knew that you know she was not well it was more than just the baby blues but you know we I didn't have the information that I know now you know the the awareness of postpartum issues isn't out there. It wasn't out there at the time, I think, as much as we know now. You know, all the signs were there. We just didn't see them. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know. And it's really hard to retrospectively be like, well, of course, we know that this now go back because you can't. No, you know, and as a survivor of suicide, we we tend to do it. Well, Almost all of us do that. Like, what did we do wrong? What could we have done differently? Um, I honestly, in my heart, in all that I know about my sister, I mean, she was 33 33 years old when she had passed. And growing up with her, knowing the person that she was, and knowing how she was with her, her baby, just not wanting to hold her, not wanting to, you know, bond with her that was not her. So I, I honestly think that she had thoughts of harming her, her baby. I think she, you know, didn't want to hurt the baby. So she pretty much decided to take her own life. I honestly believe that. And, you know, obviously when someone dies by suicide, they're not in their right mind. So I think, I think that that's, I believe that in my heart. I believe that she thought that she was going to harm the baby. So she took herself out. I feel like she, she, that was a selfless act. Oh my goodness. Wow. Mm -hmm. What has that experience been like for her daughter? Actually, it's it's been, she was only three weeks old when she had passed away. Mm -hmm. So I try to, you know, I know her husband all of us family members that are around her try to keep her memory al- alive. She has pictures in her, her in her bedroom. She's 13 years old now. Um, I'm sure she knows she isn't. She doesn't have a cell phone or anything, but you know she can get on the internet. I'm sure she knows how how she you know passed away. She just knows you know she died when she was she was 
sick when she died. So, um, but yeah, I try to keep her memory, memory alive, good memories, talk about the fun times and, you know, how she's like her mother in mm-hmm. so many ways, so beautiful and just a kind, uh, spirited, funny young lady that she is. Like she totally takes after her in so many ways. Wow. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So let's back up after the days and weeks and years after your sister's suicide. How did you start advocacy work? Like, was it pretty immediate that you were like, I know I need to change this narrative? Or did it kind of uh, develop over time? It kind of developed over time. I, I mean, even back when it happened, I was just like, what, you know, what went wrong in like our mental health system? And what are we doing for our moms, but never quite, you know, saw what I could do to help um, until I started working in a pediatric department here in, in New Hampshire for a major mm-hmm. hospital called Dartmouth Health um, at a community practice and saw that we weren't doing screenings for our mothers. And I, I've seen some mothers, you know, show some signs of postpartum um, issues in the office with their babies and, I said, what can we be doing? We, we need to do something for our mothers. I approached the chair of the department, and and he said, what, what would you like to do? And I said, well, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends um, postpartum screenings at the baby visits. Like, let's get this going, and I'll come up with, you know, a workflow, and I'll, I'll put myself out there. I'll, you know, I'll get some trainings on how to call the moms, and follow up with moms um, and coming up with a dedicated resource list. That's, that's the major thing that the key component to screening is having that resource list and having those resources available. You can't screen people and say, Oh yeah, it says you're depressed or anxious. Well, what are you going to do about it? So the key component was doing the follow-up. I do a follow-up call in a week or two if they screen positive for depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. or just, or just if the providers are worried about the mom or the family, I, I'll call them in a week or two. Is there anything I can do for you? Can I find you a resource? I have some tools and strategies to help you. Um, you know, I've been trained in certain, um, you know, CBT techniques, you know, just a simple, how are you doing helps these moms yeah. more than, you know, um, and we, we do it up until six months. We do a screening up until six months. My goal is up to a year, but we started up until six months. But it's it my the providers that I work with can't imagine not doing it now because they've seen so many mothers and how they react to the screening. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's it's a you know a positive thing. We are helping so many moms and families recognize, especially after the pandemic the importance of maternal mental health, what it means for the mother, what it means for the bonding with the baby and the family, because it can have negative impact on some of these children having a mom that's depressed, you know, even in the early years, pregnancy, postpartum, it can have a negative impact on our our children and our babies. Absolutely. My my mother recently had passed away. I mean, there's she had mental health issues, bipolar, she wasn't diagnosed, and then it 
led to substance abuse and she struggled with that before my sister had passed and that kind of pushed her over the edge and she's been estranged from my family since my sister had passed away it was probably a couple months it was when I got married I had to uninvite her to my wedding because she had just you know gone off the deep end at that point so I totally understand the whole mental illness aspect and you know it's unfortunate that we don't have our mothers but at the same time she wasn't a mother to me you know after she was just lost in her mental illness and then to add substance abuse onto it was just you know in in looking back in all the studies that have been done about postpartum psychosis my sister probably had bipolar disorder because the the strong family history and and she had some some childhood trauma on there in her life so she had a, a couple of things that added to her risk factor and i think too it's just really hard to know i mean personally i've dealt with my own mental illness struggles especially postpartum but i think i i was able to but i remember like going to my provider and saying like hey this is what i'm struggling with and she was like okay well now we need to like get you set up with a psychiatrist and i was like okay well i don't think my insurance covers that and you know there are so many factors and so many things going against these mothers to actually afford them the help that they need well not only need but that they deserve yep to change that narrative and change the statistics. And just today I saw on social media, I think it was on Instagram, that it must not have been the U.S. because it said a 12-week postpartum visit. In the U.S. it's only six weeks unless it's changed And since I had my, my babies. But, you know, you get your six-week visit and they do the screening, but then, there's, like you said, there's hardly ever any follow-up And even after my severe birth trauma, like there was no sort of like, these are the things you may struggle with. It took me nine months to bond with my baby. And I was in misery for, I think it was four months, maybe three months. It doesn't matter. Anyways, multiple months in misery, thinking that there was something wrong with me that I did not feel this bond with my child. And it wasn't until I talked to another AFE survivor that she was like, yes, it's okay. I struggled with the same thing. You will get there. And it took, like I said, another several months, but we did. And we, our bond is amazing now. Mm-hmm. So thankful for not only that friend, but that AFE sister who said, you know, me too. Yep. And that's what it's all about. So You know, the mental health providers are, some of them aren't trained. So are are PSI trained, postpartum international, um, it's a perinatal mental health certification. It's a, it's a training, it's a specific training that needs to be taken in order to, to help mothers and to help recognize different disorders. There's all kinds of maternal mental health disorders. And in order to help a mother, we need to recognize all these different types of disorders and what to look for and what to tell your patients to look for. Like you were a high risk, you were at high risk, right? 
So you should have been giving more resources and more things to look for and who, who specifically you could have turned to. And the biggest thing now with um, maternal mental health conditions is peer support. Yeah. 100% peer support. You just said you had someone that went through the similar thing that you went through, right? And mm -hmm. that's what helped you. So yeah. we, need, we need more mothers to speak up and to be peer support for other mothers. That's mm -hmm. the only way that we're going to get past this. And maternal mental health conditions is the number one leading cause of death in the U.S. for pregnancy and postpartum. That is mind-boggling. We have, we have all this amazing, we talk about our health care and how amazing it is. Well, what are we doing if... 84% of the maternal deaths were preventable, were found to be preventable. What are we doing? You know, so that's what got me going with trying to get legislatures here in my state of New Hampshire to be on board with. I got on that train um, this past April because they, my state still isn't on board with Medicaid expansion postpartum mothers up to one year they only pay for 60 days they cut you off at 60 days no that's not long enough we need one year one year and you know what the the pushback was they thought that moms were gonna go run out and get pregnant again within that year to get it covered under medicaid i mean how ridiculous is that you know I'm, and so i went to testify to my legislators and i said hey, you're not even looking at the mental health aspect of this. Our mothers need help up to one year postpartum. The, the prime time for postpartum depression and mental health disorders is four to six months. Moms are going back to work. They they're have even more stress, struggle, you know, at that four to six month mark. You're going to cut them off at 60 days and say, oh, we can't help you because you went past. You know, that's unacceptable, and that's why our mothers aren't doing good in this country, and that's why I need more mothers to speak out and to say, yeah, I felt this way. Talk to other mothers. Go to groups. You know, speak to your legislators. Tell them your story because that is the only way that they're going to listen. Agreed, yeah, and I forgot to add that, but talking about that social media post earlier that you know, talked about the 12-week visit, and it said, you know, like 50% of postpartum mood disorders don't even start until mm -hmm. six months out, and uh, I I think that's so true. It's so, so important to just, so I'm in Florida, and I just this year, they changed the rule for Medicaid to one year, and I'm so thankful that they finally have, but why did it take till 2022? Like, that's absurd. It's yeah. crazy um, how much support that mothers and, and new all new parents don't have, you know, because we no longer have that, that support of, like, extended family. Like, we live in Orlando, and I have one aunt and one uncle here locally. And other than that, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so, it can be so challenging to raise these little kids to when it's just you and your partner. Mm -hmm. Don't even get started on single parents who are literally doing it on their own. 
and obviously everyone's different, but it can it can be really overwhelming and really hard. And to put COVID on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Put COVID on top. Like, we started the screening um, the January before COVID started. And you, you wouldn't believe how much the numbers went up of anxious. It was all, all the mothers were very anxious, yeah. um, you know. And I'm so glad we started doing it right before that because, you know, we were able to talk to so many more mothers doing that screening and to get them help. And like I said, sometimes it's just checking up on them, just saying, are you doing stuff for yourself? You know, it's, it's as easy as that as just reminding them that you should be doing stuff for yourself too. It's not just about your baby, your, your health and happiness is important to the baby and to your family. So, you know, I like probably 50% of the calls that I make is just checking on them, making sure, and they appreciate that call, not necessarily needing mental health help at that time, but just the check-in. Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, done numbers for our practice and, you know, I will continue, you know, pushing for different things and I'm starting a group at our clinic we don't have a group, a postpartum group in our area. Um, there was a couple of them, and then they kind of just fell off with COVID, right? Nobody was meeting up in person. So uh -huh. I'm, you know, I'm going to get my perinatal um, mental health certification coming. I'm sitting for the test next week, um, hoping to pass. And then, you know, the new year, I'm hoping to start a group, but I can't imagine that that's not going to be successful because sometimes that's just what moms need is other moms to say, hey, I'm going through the same thing. And it's so good to hear that someone else is struggling like me. And what are ways that have helped you? Maybe that will help me, you know, and just talking it out. That's all moms just need some someone to listen. Yeah, because everybody's just all about the baby all the time. Well, what about me? What about my myself, you know? A lot of women, it's just getting back to that normalcy and feeling like a person, a human being again and not, you know, not just <laughs> breastfeeding and, you know, mm -hmm. making sure my baby's taken care of, you know? Sometimes they just need to be with other moms that are going through a similar, similar thing. So I'm hoping that, you know, to start that in the new year and, and I, I know that will help our community so much. Absolutely. Do you believe that there's a stigma around asking for help postpartum? Oh, of course. Um, so many mothers are, you know, are they going to take my baby away from me? I, you know, if I yep. tell them that I feel this way, you know, and most of the time these feelings are normal. My sister was a, you know, a rare case you know it came on and it was all all of the signs of psychosis but I think there's a huge stigma but it's getting less we're working on that we're working on mothers speaking out and I know I hear from moms every day coming out of the woodwork you know older moms in their 50s 60s yeah I had postpartum I think that's what I had I didn't want to get out of the house I didn't want to hold my baby, you know, 
I, I felt like, you know, you know, I felt like not myself for a long time. Nobody helped me. You know, it's just, it, you know, if you, that's why, that's my hope. If you speak about it and if I keep speaking about it and I scream from the rooftops that this is normal and <laughs> more people speak out, the more help that our mothers can get. Cause that's, like I said, that's a huge problem is, um, they don't, you know, it's more about the physical health more than the mental health, but yeah, mental health affects the physical health, right? We're, we're connected in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, were there tools that you put after going through the suicide with your sister? Were there tools that you put in place to prepare for your postpartum period? Uh, they definitely, um, they definitely flagged me for sure. And said if you know I ever felt like I needed to be on medication or if I was struggling um, I knew my resources I knew people were looking after me like a hawk you know um, so definitely and, and that's because I spoke out about my sister had I not spoken about my sister I probably would have kept to myself right mm -hmm. because people think in general suicide is shameful right yeah, but I did not see. I I saw it as an act of desperation. I do not believe that it is a shameful act. I believe people that die by suicide are are want to end the pain, right? So I yeah. honestly think, you know, by sharing my story and sharing my sister's story, I know that she's proud of me. I know that, you know different things have happened along the way to show me that she's proud of me. Well, that's beautiful. I love that. But I think it's important to recognize that you hit the nail on the head with that. There's so much shame associated with suicide. And I think it's so important for people to know that if someone truly cares about you, they're not going to shame you. They're going to want to help. They're going to get resources for you. And now there are people out there that, you know, maybe want to play devil's advocate or question what you're feeling or things like that. And that's not the best route to go, in my opinion. I think it's, you know, literally giving them the suicide number, giving them a follow-up call, giving them just a hug to just say, you know, I hold no shame. I hold no shame against you. I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. I want you to get better. And thank you for trusting me and sharing those deep, dark, hard to admit secrets that you're carrying. Thank you for allowing me to share that burden with you. I think it's so important to validate and not to shame. It's it's just really sad that we don't even have any sort of, I don't want to say training because some of it is just empathy, but mm -hmm. there's no cooth for lack of a better term with how to handle these, these mental health challenges and how to handle these hard conversations. And how do we, what would be your advice if someone comes to say me, what, what should I say to someone when they come to me and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I'm having thoughts of hurting myself. I'm having thoughts of hurting 
my family or my baby? What would your advice be to that person? To get help, to get professional help. That professional help is out there. They are out there to help you. We are trying to better the resources when it comes to maternal mental health. I mean, they just started a maternal mental health hotline, which has been amazing. It's dedicated to maternal mental health. I mean, a mom that's struggling can just call. They don't have to be suicidal. They can just be struggling with anxiety, with depression. They can call and they can talk to a professional on a hotline. Um, so that has been a huge help. There's Postpartum International, PSI, postpartum.net. They have so much dedicated resources to all different sorts of topics, pregnancy, postpartum. They are a great resource. So if someone came to you and was struggling, I would definitely recommend Postpartum International is a great resource in that hotline. It is a dedicated maternal mental health hotline. It's it's awesome. I can refer moms to that that are really struggling and that aren't able to get in to see somebody for weeks, months. I can I can have them call that number and they can talk to a professional. They will get a, a counselor on the phone to talk to. Looking into the future, you're getting your perinatal mental health certification. And is that through Postpartum International? Yes, it is. And you have to have um, certain qualifications and you have to do certain trainings. There's a two-day training and there's, I've done um, numerous trainings that applied towards that certification. So if I pass it, I'm going to be so excited um, because I've worked really hard. And it's just another stepping stone for me to help mothers and to get that group started and be trusted, you know. That's amazing. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. For our listeners who don't know, Heather and I met because we both became certified patient family partners through Mama's Voices. And I'm so thankful I met you and to hear your story. We have had suicide in our family and a smattering of mood disorders throughout both sides of my family. And um, so it's, it's, it's not only amazing to meet you, it's amazing to see the, the work that you are doing to continue on your sister's legacy and and your niece too. Like It's just amazing to see how hard you are working to change that narrative. So with that said, looking into the future, in what other ways are you hoping that the narrative changes? You know, I advocated in Washington, D.C. just recently. I just think, you know, it... This is a huge issue, not only, you know, locally, but around the world. Like we, there's so much that goes into maternal mental health and there's simple steps that people can take to prevent tragic outcomes like my sister. You know, we need more people to get trained in how to help mothers with certain mental health conditions, maternal mental health conditions. We need more training for that and just simple you know, if I could just tell everybody that has a new mom in their life or, you know, so, see somebody struggling, just ask, our, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Is there anything I can do to help you, to help take the load off you? That's the simplest thing that anyone can do is to check on a mom, is just to make sure they're yeah. feeling okay. And ask them, 
I just learned this recently because I attended um, or I trained again another training on um, survivors of suicide um, on how to speak about being a survivor of suicide. And the trainer said, ask, ask them the question twice. How are you doing? And they'll say, okay, I'm doing okay. Ask them again, right? Ask them twice. Are you sure? How are you feeling? And he said, you'll get the better answer the second time you ask. So that really stuck with me because I've, I find that that, I find that to be true. I find that to be true too, because in our society, I mean, no matter where you're going, you're, whether it's like today we took our kids to the doctor for their annual checkup, you know, and obviously, um, you know, the doctor asks, well, how are you, how are you guys doing? And it's like, oh, we're doing great. Mm -hmm. They don't know that, you know, we were running 15 minutes late and like, we're trying to get lunches and like kids picked up and, and like all of these things are running through my head and my husband is just sitting next to me, you know, cool as a cucumber. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> ah. yep. So many, so many things I know. And I'll even do that in my, in my, when I wear my pediatric medical assistant hat, I, I will do that too. I would say, how are you doing? You know? And the truth does come out that second time. So I'm really glad he said that to me because it like reinforced like what I'm already doing, you know, that that works. Yeah. Ask a second time. See what the answer is the second time. Yeah, I love that so much. One of my favorites too is, especially if a, a new mom is going through a really hard season or like a seasoned mom is going through a really hard season, asking, how are you doing today? Because how are you doing can feel so overwhelming, but asking how you're doing today is just, or even just breaking it down from there. How are you doing this morning? Or how are you doing this afternoon? Because sometimes the morning can be really hard, but the afternoon can be better or vice versa. Or, you know, how are you doing tonight? How was bedtime tonight? You know, and I think we forget, we, especially as Americans, I think we get too, uh, task oriented and it's just a checklist mm -hmm. or excuse me, a check mark off the checklist, off the task list. And it's just like, you know, going through the motions. And I think we need to pause. And I found myself even doing that today uh, with my children and saying like, obviously today was hectic with pulling kids out of school early and getting them to the doctor of like, slowing down and you know at dinner being like how was your day today what did you like about school what did you not like about school and I think too often as mothers and parents or people in general like we're just we're just going 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 and our we're going too fast we need to slow down and just ask ask the question twice yeah and like they can sense our stress, right, of the day and everything else. So I feel like at night when we settle down with them and asking those questions, not immediately when they get out of school, but like when we're settling down, having dinner, like that's the time to ask those questions, right? Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. So Heather, tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, I'm on Facebook. It's Heather Bauer Martin. I still kept a little bit of the old me on there. I'm on Instagram also. You can look for me on there. Uh, LinkedIn, if anybody wants to check me out on LinkedIn, follow what I've been doing. Um, coming up, uh, I am speaking at a, um, a political symposium for the hospital that I'm working with, Dartmouth Health here in New Hampshire. So I'll probably um, spread some news about that at the end of this week and just pushing forward and, and, you know, trying to do stuff here at a local level and back in Washington in September, hopefully again, to push for more mom agenda, as we call it, to help our moms here in this country. Mom agenda. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Yes, me too. Well, thank you again, Heather, uh, for sharing Jennifer's story. It, it's truly I wanted to say a unique story, but the reality is, like you said, 84% of maternal deaths are preventable. Yeah, I just feel incredibly honored to share not only your story, but Jennifer's story as well. And I'm so incredibly honored to not only know you, but I'm so proud of you for all of the work that you are doing to change that narrative. It is so, so important. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's her birthday today, so it's bittersweet day. Yeah, she would have been 47. 47. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad that we got to celebrate her birthday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.